Welcome to the Good Luck Club podcast. We aim to bring you insights from the world's most successful entrepreneurs and change makers. They will share with you each week what they've learned building their businesses, the good and the bad. There is nothing more interesting than real life stories. My guest today is entrepreneur Norris Capel, founder and CEO of Manise. Norris, good to see you. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Simon, for inviting me. Very happy to be here. I wonder if we could start off the podcast by you telling my audience a little bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. How, how long have you got? I've got uh, uh-huh. rather sort of a long story. But uh, yeah, so so basically, I'm in early 40s, originally from a tiny country called Estonia, which is what I call a land of unicorns, because uh, the uh, concentration of unicorns there is, uh, is uh, number one in the world. But um, aside from the country itself, I'm also from a very tiny little small and, and uh, as a family, never really had uh, much money and sort of coming from very, very humble uh, beginnings. Uh, but, um, you know, fast forward into where we are today, I've, uh, I've built a number of uh, businesses uh, in the past sort of uh, 15 years or so and, and uh, mostly in financial services, actually, and technology. So fintech, I guess, is, is my thing. And Moniz, as you uh, mentioned, uh, is basically a digital banking service that has been around for about five years. This is my latest venture. And and, uh, the idea is that we are making banking just uh, so much easier for people and removing many of the complexities um, that are, you know, holding people back. I was just looking online. Correct me if I'm wrong. You've got over 2 million users. Yeah, it's it's you're correct. It's actually significantly more right now. We haven't published uh, recent recent figures, but uh, the business is has been growing incredibly fast uh, over the past few years, and it's only feels like it's it's uh, still only maybe few percent done. So we it's very early still for us. Very impressive what you've done, and you're revolutionising the industry. Can you tell me a little bit what success means to you personally today, and for your business? How do you measure success? I guess um, there are three aspects, really, that I would like to highlight. Is that, uh, Number one, and I think it wasn't necessarily in that order some, some, some few years ago, but today, my, my personally, I would say number one is, uh, it may sound a little lame, to be honest, especially a little younger than, uh, I would say, the kind of uh, good people around you. And not just the family, obviously, whose support is insanely important, uh, but uh, also basically work with people who you actually like is, is, is a key, I think, uh, who bring the best out of you. And, and sometimes, you know, you can have a little argument here and there and take a little bit of a beating and people disagreeing with you. But it, if it's sort of a prompts action and sort of a little bit of a spark, then it can be a good thing. So I, I say good people is, is um, something that I would define if I would die, you know, drop dead today. If I had the chance to work with brilliant people who I like working with and the family around me, you can die any day and not regret to think, you know, that's number one. Um, the second is, um, I would, uh, I would say that it's a pretty big thing for me is the word freedom. Uh, so, you know, when, when I sort of uh, escaped that little town, uh, to the big city, you know, I, I uh, eventually landed in, in London and all that. So it's uh, for me, this is a little bit of a revolution that has been ongoing for, for years for me and kind of a breaking uh, away from breaking free from chains and sort of boundaries and proving people wrong and uh, also a little bit of a financial freedom in there as well. 
I think uh, this is this is something that I've been uh, very sort of uh, passionate about. And, and this eventually, when I break free, will it ever be complete freedom? I don't know. But uh, but being free, truly free, is is um, uh, success for me. And um, and also when we talk about businesses, so for example, you know why I'm entrepreneur is because it gives me the freedom. A lot of freedom, so I can uh, not only define my own work, own working hours, which, which happen to be sixteen hours a day, normally. But uh, but uh, you know, I choose my time, I choose my affairs, and uh, sometimes being an entrepreneur is yes, it is much riskier. But if you get it right, the rewards there is uh, it can be pretty good, and uh, you know, it's incredibly liberating to work on something that you actually want to do, and you're not doing it only for money, for example. And I guess. Um, now that I'm in my early 40s, uh, uh, I would say that the impact is number three word uh, that I, def- I kind of connect to the word success. So myself, um, you know, I've been a vegetarian for like 15 years of my life uh, because of, you know, I worry about impact. I worry about what kind of a kind of a world we leave behind. I've got, you know, quite few kids as well. So kind of worry about that and to trying to do a good thing, trying to do something that really impacts um, you know, people around me and as, as many people as possibly, uh, as possible, positively, it's a kind of a thing that really uh, prompted me to actually create Moniz, which is, which is very, very much focusing right now on, on making sure that, uh, you know, there is a good service, a good product that actually enables people to, you know, thrive, the freedom to thrive, you know, not worry about the finances so much, reduce the stress, the stress and mental health that come with, you know, poor money management. So all that is is is. Uh, I would I would say if I do these three things, good people, uh, get myself in a place where I can be breaking free from things like finances and whatnot, and uh, the impact as well. Then it's that's it for me. That's that's the most important. You've just described my personal utopia as well. I mean, it's um, th- those three things. Such such great insights for my listeners. I think you know wi- wisdom that probably. Um, it's taken you a, a few decades to, to, to come to terms with, right? I mean, I imagine the 20-year-old you. What, what, what was the 20-year-old you like? Uh, a bit reckless, <laughs> I would say. So, um, you know, I, I really wish I, I, I should have started the business and being an entrepreneur when I was in my early, early, early 20s. I've seen so many people right now, you know, youngers who start much earlier, who, you know, get uh, get a little bit of an education and sort of uh, smart people who start much sooner. So, uh, you know, early 20s is the best time, right? I mean, if you don't have kids, you don't have any mortgages, all this stuff that is kind of holding you back, it's so much easier. And uh, and I started really kind of in late 30s, I would say, uh, or, or, yeah, sort of a mid-30s and, uh you know, I had, uh, I was married, I had my first child. And then, you know, when I started Moniz, I mean, I had two more young kids and I was the only provider in the family and, uh, you know, creating this insanely risky business at the time that, uh, you know, was pretty, pretty crazy idea at the time as well. I mean, it's, uh, it's just, I wish I started all this in my twenties. It's a very interesting point. What, what made you leap into um, self-employment what 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 happened i guess i had a little bit of a 
kind of a life-changing uh, event. Um, so first of all, I kind of um, started reading a lot about sort of a financial education, like, uh, you know, Robert Kiyosaki talking about kids education. How do you, how do you build uh, through, you know, property, how you can build with a bit of a financial freedom. So I actually started doing that letter by letter. And uh, before, before, you know, I knew it, I was actually financially free. So I paid off all my, um, sort of a uni uni debt and credit cards and that was pretty reckless in 20s and when I when I say that I I mean like literally I, I borrowed money from credit card companies I, I borrowed money to get me through 10 plus years of universities so when when this is all, was all done I had this massive massive pile of debt and um, and that ca- I carried so many years on on my shoulders and when I got through this when I got it done it was a game-changing event for me, and uh, and uh, from that moment onwards, sort of, I just really uh, decided that I ever, ne- never ever want to go back to this. And actually, I did a little bit more even as a result as well. So I thought, not only I don't want to go back to this ever again myself, I thought, you know, why is uh, financial financial why is not uh, educational system providing more information to, you know, youngsters about sort of money. Why are we jumping to university debt? Why is nobody talking about how dangerous uh, things can become? So I decided to do something about it. And um, when I had this sort of a little bit of a breakthrough, yes, I was, um, you know, financially worry-free, but I, I, I was not really rich or anything. So, But I decided to set up a, kind of a foundation which is called Arta Foundation, and and uh, that is built basically to take whatever cash I have and uh, will have in the future, and are basically investing into financial education of uh, children. So basically, the foundation has been uh, up and running in Estonia for quite a few years, six, seven, eight years right now, and this is kind of a lifelong thing. So I want to basically make sure that uh, uh, I, I have the through this foundation. I can uh, have an impact on the uh, you know educating youngsters about money as well. And there is one more thing I, I did on that topic, if I may. Uh, basically, with uh, some other uh, founders uh, from Estonia, like uh, uh, let's say Transferwise founders and and Bolt founders, uh, some other uh, people, we um, actually uh, created um, a philanthropy uh, fund, uh, one million euro fund that is called the Good Deed Education Fund, which basically is uh, uh, spreading the cash um, uh, basically in three years um, in, in, in order to provide seed capital for innovative initiatives that are supposed to turn Estonian education around, uh, for example. So things like this are really something that I, I see that are, are going to, you know, this is important for me and sort of as this is, where uh, hopefully when, you know, maybe my entrepreneurial episode is going to be over at some point, then this is where I want to put a lot of um, focus in the future as well. That's wonderful to hear, giving back like that and, and realising, I, I, and I couldn't agree more, I think in, in education in general, it's ridiculous that the financial piece isn't, isn't taught to kids. You know, entrepreneurship isn't taught to kids. I mean, a lot of what of entrepreneurship is, is a set of skills, isn't it? I mean, it, it's, it's kind of crazy to me that that's not, that's not taught so it's great that you've set up um, that foundation to try and bring that to to the younger generation. Do do you was, was it hard to set up a foundation out of interest? Uh, I think setting up is not uh, is not that hard. Uh, it's like a little bit like a setting up a company. I mean, you can you can you can do it in you know ten minutes or half an hour. But uh, how you how you kind of take it, how you keep it going, and how do you get people there who actually keep it going? That's another matter. And uh, with the foundation, you know. 
I, I knew it's going to be um, uh, lifelong journey. So I didn't uh, massively rush. And, and initially it was kind of, I didn't do very much, but at some point a professional team emerged and, and uh, kids were actually, you know, being, uh, being sort of uh, educated. And, uh, and that's, that's, uh, that was pretty, pretty amazing. But it's still sort of a constantly needs kind of a nurturing and making sure it doesn't um, uh, doesn't kind of a slow down. So I think it's a, as I said, ongoing thing. That's great. It's a wonderful thing to plan for. I think a lot of people will relate to what you're talking about, especially my young audience who who do come out of university with debt, and they want to start something of their own, but they are labelled with this debt. It, it 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 does feel like a trap, right? So 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 you managed to. Uh, build your way out of it i think a lot of people be interested in a book around that you should probably release a book so it sounds like there's a big story about how to make that happen it took so many years i it took so many years so, so I, I really encourage people to approach this systematically if you apply, apply system there and you're careful with things you can be out in no time so when you decided to start your your own first business what, when was that what was the first business that you actually said right this you know a for-profit business it was a tiny business, basically. It was, um, you know, me and my friends, we wanted to, again, sort of, um, you know, not be employed by somebody else. So we wanted to do uh, our own business. And it was uh, three friends setting up a little kind of, um, you know, I did websites. Another friend of mine uh, was a computer teacher. And another one basically built computers as a hardware. So three of us, we created this little business. And, uh, you know, that was, that was my start. So I was a website builder, basically. So this is very important, I think, for, for people to, to listen to. You know, you, you as a founder of a, a, a new kind of bank, you know, a CEO, successful entrepreneur, we all have to start somewhere, right? So, you know, that first business, was, was, it, was it just simply you didn't want to work for someone else or, or was it, you know, the, the vision piece that you now have has taken time to mature, right? For a lot of young people, again, I think they sometimes think that the first business they do has got to be this brilliant visionary thing, but it's not always best to do it that way, right? Step by step. Yeah, interesting enough, they say also that when you look at the <clears throat> the common sort of um, uh, misunderstanding is that, uh, you know, the most uh, successful founders or, or let's say companies are built by very young founders, which is not uh, not actually true. So when you look, look, look at data, you will find that actually many people who are successful, they actually have built multiple businesses, smaller businesses before, and only, you know, it starts really going really, really well when they have a little bit of an experience. Uh, you know, under the belt as well. So I, I think I've, I've, I've done, you know, failed and tried many, many things and, uh, you know, built uh, kind of a started businesses. I, I think I've started, uh, you know, created maybe 30 plus businesses, but most of them super, super tiny and never took really off. And, uh, and I think uh, only when, when I look at really look hard um, and, and look and look back, I mean, Moniz right now is the uh, the best one that has really taken off and and lots of people believe in it uh, team obviously your customers and investors as well so it's it's pretty sizable now but in a way you had to do those 29 plus businesses before that um to to be able to build what you've got today and that's that's how you've that's your education in a way isn't it that's how you've figured out how to do absolutely. it absolutely absolutely and, and i mean also i think it's uh, important to be um um, through this experience and some people pick it up much quicker than I did, but uh, it's just enormously important to kind of uh, learn to push yourself um, through um, basically outside your comfort zone. For some people, it comes more naturally. And I would say if you're younger and also it comes more naturally to you. 
because you know if, if you get a little bit older perhaps you're kind of a beaten you have been beaten down a little bit and maybe you're kind of a, you've got family and you don't want to take risks anymore and though um, you know you tend to fall into your comfort zone but i think uh if if you are if you have been experimenting you have created these businesses then i think uh, it's very important to push yourself out outside that comfort zone on on daily basis and push through fear uh as well because one of my things that i didn't tell you before but i was i was um you know i couldn't even speak properly before i mean i had enormous self-confidence issues couldn't look people in the eye couldn't speak public public speaking was death literally and it took me so much um, uh, work with myself to to actually get through this. And I guess the big aha moment for me was uh, was um, I don't know uh, seven, eight, ten, something like that years ago when I realized that actually well, I started thinking. So what is the worst things that can happen if I fail on something? Let's say I want to create a business, and uh, and then uh, you know it's a ridiculous idea. Everybody will laugh, call me stupid, and you know. It's okay, actually, right? But because you're not going to die um, in that process. So what what is a little bit of a humiliation? Without humiliation, no good things have 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 been brought to the world. And um, once you get rid of this fear of um, you know being ridiculed or 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 you know death even, then it's like okay. I mean, if it, if I'm not going to die, uh, there is yes, there could be a little bit of money in the game that you could potentially lose, but you can always make more money, right? It's it's uh, and once you get rid of this fear, you can do anything. That's what I what I understood, and it took me long, long time, many, many years. But as a result, I'm I, I guess I mean you know we're pushing a lot of boundaries uh, right now as 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 a business and uh, as an entrepreneur. And without that sort of um, loss of fear, I think uh, probably many businesses would would never would never see the light of day. It's very inspiring you sharing that with with us. I think, as I say, your your image as a successful entrepreneur is out there. So when you when you share, you know, where you've come from to where you are today, I think for a lot of people listening that perhaps do struggle with what they see as their weaknesses, um, overcoming them and pushing through, you know, you can come out the other side and and, and conquer the world. I, I love the point about um, kind of leaning into into fear and and not. And pushing through, I think that's really powerful. I, I actually think your point you're making about death is really interesting too, because I've had I, I had suddenly a, a personal uh, fear of flying, and I, and I actually uh, remember thinking, well, I don't know why. I think after 9/11 attacks, I watched planes flying into buildings so much. Something happened in my subconscious, and I started getting scared of flying. And then the way I, got, I overcame it was by basically saying, well, if I die, um, what's my legacy? You know, so if I get on this plane today and I die, what's my legacy? And that actually motivated me to work harder and create a legacy, create something that, you know, a mark, so that if I did die on the plane, at least I left something interesting behind. So that embracing death is really interesting. You know, it can motivate you, right? I mean, we only get one life, so you might as well go out there and take as bigger risks as you can, right? Exactly, exactly. And I've, uh, I've you know, I've, I've gone to graveyards and sort of walked around and sort of really, really thought it through, you know? And uh, and also that led me to a point that's... Uh, <clears throat> in one stage where I just, uh, you know, I thought, okay, you know, you can never know what the next day will become, uh, you know, bring you. Will you ever achieve your ultimate goals? Um, I happen to be, I have happen to have lots of goals. Will I achieve them? And what's, what's going to happen if I don't achieve? So I'm basically trying to live every day right now as it's, as it's my last, uh, it's not easy, 
but I mean, if you do your little things, you know, a little bit, you know, spend time with, with your family a little bit every day, you know, take care of your health a little bit, you know, read, try to eat good food and sort of not, um, not stress too much. And I really like to take a massive stress um, on and, 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 uh, and, and it's very difficult for me to kind of break out of that sort of a pattern. But if you, if you kind of um, do these little things every single day and, and you work towards your ultimate goal, then, uh, you know, it's actually okay if you at some point, you know, I don't know, whatever happens. And, and, and you know, it's, 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 it's important to enjoy the path, the journey, and uh, whether you ever reach the end point is, is almost irrelevant, really. A lot of people um, reach out and talk about how um, they want to start their own business, but they, you know they have kids and a family. You, you mentioned it earlier. You know, start as young as you can because you don't have all those responsibilities. But for those that do, I mean, you started this business when you had a family. Um, how how did you uh, correlate that? Did you, did you have to get buy-in from your partner? Was was it a long conversation? Was it a short conversation? And then you know, how do you balance it out? You know, by, by the time I kind of married my wife, uh, I, I had been an entrepreneur, um, kind of a modestly successful entrepreneur uh, for a number of years. And the uncertainty that I already had before that was kind of a, like a norm. So so my wife and family already knew that sort of uncertainty and it, it didn't come as a surprise. Um, but what I, what I did promise to my wife when I started this business, Moniz, was that I'm not gonna be risking uh, my own money anymore. Uh, so I promised to my wife that I'm gonna be raising all the money from uh, from other people and investors. I did break that promise because I initially, I think the first sort of a year, year and a half, I actually paid all the bills myself. So I kind of uh, kept it a little bit quiet. So I did actually you know, use a fair amount of our savings as well. I didn't have to remortgage our house or anything. Um, and I did raise uh, the, you know, the other money from, you know, friends, family, uh, start as a starting point, and then obviously from angels and and uh, professional venture capital firms as well. But um, yeah, I mean, uh, it was it was pretty sort of an interesting conversation, I guess, with my wife initially, because two, as I said, so I had three kids at the time, and two of them were, you know, young, newborn pretty much and um uh, but she was very sensible about it luckily otherwise we wouldn't probably be be here today well i think i think i always say to people who want to become entrepreneurs you know you've got to have the right partner in life to to, to back up that desire and that drive that you have as an entrepreneur that's key to actually unlocking being an entrepreneur so you know i, I feel blessed to have a partner that's like that you sound like you're blessed to have a partner like that it is an interesting one. I also think it's very interesting you talk about you know, risking your own money. I think it's um, it's kind of a struggle for entrepreneurs, isn't it? Because I think, surprisingly, asking for money isn't that easy. Uh, and if you, you know, if you can't... But I think what you're, what you're doing is so big, you can't financially... I don't think anyone can financially build the sort of business you're building on your own. Plus, the partners you brought in can add value. That's the big thing. Like, we know each other through Outward VC. A just quick shout-out to those guys. You know, I know they've invested in you. But, you know, ultimately, actually, you can bring so much value... Um, to to the table if you actually have outside money coming in as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's uh, initially I would also advise that people if they have day jobs, don't leave that don't leave that day job go. Keep it, and then you do your thing in the evenings, and you spend a little bit more and more time. And when it kind of seems like it's actually going to take off, or there is any 
kind of external funding already, only then maybe maybe let go. But I let go immediately. Like I went, I was falling into darkness uh, day one, pretty much. And so I just had to learn to fly. But I would not advise it because it's uh, typically it's it's uh, it's a bit risky because most businesses, as you know, typically uh, fail. So you don't want to sort of uh, jeopardize uh, your your financial well-being and be on that depth that I mentioned early on. But as you go, I mean, let's say it picks off with a little bit of a friend's family money, let's say it picks off and you, you, you know, you're not going to waste their money and kind of uh, go into bankruptcy day one. The next day, stage really is uh, professional investors and, and VCs, like you mentioned, um, outward VC guys. And then, you know, what, what then happens is you kind of initially are maybe in a kind of almost like an isolation if you don't have a network. And then as you start talking to these people, you know, investors and, and uh, fellow entrepreneurs, then all sorts of networks um, and, and the gates start to open basically and, and people start in, you know, introducing to other people. And this is kind of how it, how it goes. And then before you know it, this network is pretty sizable. So you can actually um, you know, take advantage of this and, and, and get to the next uh, place where you need to be. Did you know from day one it was going to work did, did, or did it just feel better over time? How, how, how was it as you built out the business? Uh, with Moniz, it felt uh, such a crazy idea. And, uh, and you know, for example, when I, when I started thinking about it, it was 2013. I remember that exact moment. It was summer 2013. I was on a holiday with my family. And it was such a ridiculous idea at the time. And keep in mind that in 2013, none of these neobanks really that you see today existed. There was nothing. There was just big banks doing their own thing. Uh, being not that great uh, at doing their thing. So to me, when I started thinking of, okay, uh, you know, why is it so damn difficult to get an account in a new country, for example? Why is it so broken? Why is it so expensive? You know, surely, you know, surely it can be improved. Uh, big aha moment for me was, was when I flew over to London, walked into a big bank and said, I want an account. Uh, they said, no. So didn't make any sense to me. And when you check out these sort of the big bank websites in the UK, they say open to UK residents only. And the question is, why on earth is it UK residents only? Is it forbidden? Is the law saying no? Oh, it's not the case. It's just because of banks' inability to monetize uh, people who don't sort of tick all the boxes or onboard these people who don't uh, tick all these boxes. So I thought there must be an opportunity there. It must be done. That will do it. And then, uh, but it was 2013, right? So it took a couple of years before I actually could launch this thing. But I, I'm really thankful for early supporters and early investors who believed in this. And I must say, it was a pretty ridiculous idea, uh, you know, in 2013. But then 2015 happened and, uh, you know, it just exploded. So I'm really thankful uh, about sort of uh, the fact that I happened to be in the right place, right time. So timing could not be better. Um, so it was it was a little bit of a luck there as well because uh, there are shifts, big shifts in the world, uh, and and that shift happened precisely where I was at the time as well. What caused and the shift? I took advantage of that. What caused the shift? Do you think? Why why in 2015 did it suddenly become? It was not like COVID. Now you can understand it. You can understand it right now, couldn't you? You know, no one wants to go. You know, into that. What what caused that moment? The mobile revolution, I would, I would, I would say that basically banking was broken uh, way before that, obviously. But uh, you know, mobile really started to uh, kind of emerge a lot. And right now, we're looking at you're taking your phone, you're holding it, you're checking your email and stuff. But 
before that, it really wasn't the case. I mean, desktop dominated massively. Mobile was still kind of uh, you know emerging. And then I sense that mobile is probably at some point going to really overtake web. It's going to dominate. And if that happens, why can't the bank be in your mobile phone? And, and I think that was a big aha moment for many, many people because the speed of internet, you know, the mobile revolution kind of, it was, it, it just made sense. What was the hardest bit about setting up the business? Was it, I'm sure there's lots of licensing and was it building the technology? Was it, was it getting mentally prepared for it? What was, what was the hardest part? Um, to, I think the hardest part really was to bring people out, basically drag people outside their little boxes. So it's, it's people have, you know, this weird sort of a, well, understandable kind of a, you know, mindset, obviously that some things that kind of exist already, uh, that, that this is the way to go and there's nothing that can be changed dramatically, right? This seems to be just sort of a safe, as I said before, the comfort zone is people that really, really, people really love that. And, and uh, I, I say to this day, it is the hardest thing still seven years later with this business, kind of uh, opening people's minds and kind of uh, showing them that there is a world outside a tiny box is still the biggest challenge seven years later. It's interesting. I, I find the same thing about, you know, there's a lot of very talented people out there that can absolutely be entrepreneurs, but they've been told that they should be lawyers or they should be something else and therefore don't think they're entrepreneurs. It's kind of interesting how people get, I, I, want, to, I, want, to, I want to say brainwashed, which is a bit, a bit hard, but definitely the, the system um, puts them inside a box as you say, and, and, and yes, it's interesting that that was the biggest challenge. Did um, I'm, I'm interested in your view whether you think entrepreneurs are born or bred. Uh, to be honest, it's a little bit of a both. Um, perhaps both, both probably are true because some people are just, you know, brave and bold and they always seem to have ideas and I happen to know some people like this. Um, that doesn't mean that they are always successful. I've seen, you know, failures and successes when, when entrepreneurs are born or bred, I'm bred, I think, um, because I really, really needed to push myself uh, outside that box that I talked about earlier. I, I guess it also helps that I'm, I'm coming from this tiny country that was uh, part of Soviet bloc many years ago and, and, you know, coming from an environment where you don't have anything really. So you constantly need to be creative around, you know, how do you get, uh, you know, clothing? How do you get basic stuff like food? Uh, so you have to basically do many things with very limited resources. So I think it's kind of a, was in my DNA and that sort of a creativity I've, uh, I've carried with me, you know, um, all the time. So I, I, I think it's, um, bred, um, uh, that way. Were your parents entrepreneurs? No, not really. No, my, my mother was a teacher and my father was basically, uh, he, he was working for, um, uh, what would you call it? It's kind of a uh, like a council thing uh, in that town. So there was nothing indicating really that I could ever be an entrepreneur. And to be honest, until I was uh, basically just before I founded my first business, I think uh, until that point, I honestly did not believe that I would ever become an entrepreneur. And I thought this is my, I thought the box I was putting myself in I was, I'm a good web developer. All I want to do is that I will never be a leader. I will, I will never be able to confidently talk to people. 
all I want to do is somebody gives me a task, I execute this, and I was in a happy place, I guess. And I never thought that could be anything else. It's interesting. I, and and what, what do you think changed? Why, why did you suddenly realize you could be a CEO of a bank? You know, what, 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 what made you realize this? And I guess uh, that was a journey, right? So, I mean, initially I, I really sort of broke free from the, the debt that I had, sort of a credit card university debt. That was kind of a big aha moment. I started reading books. I, became, I did this my sort of a smaller businesses. Then I realized that bloody hell, I can, uh, you know, I've been in universities for like 10 plus years, mostly to avoid military service, <laughs> but I did graduate. Uh, I did graduate in, uh, in London I, and I got my degree. But it's not a master's degree. It's an uh, it's a it's it's a, uh, and and I actually wanted to do masters and maybe even PhD. But I, then I thought that's a waste of time because at the time I was already kind of in this entrepreneurial mindset, and I realized that you know if I can actually employ people who are smarter than me and I can still be you know a CEO or or a leader, then um, you know smart people they need a little bit of encouragement, and then you get the job done. You don't actually need to be the smartest person in the room. It's interesting. Ten years in education is is a long time. What 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 was your degree in? What, what was that experience like for you? I uh, I, I did. Uh, I swear, I went to three four different universities, but never graduated. So I studied. I studied law. Uh, nearly finished. Uh, got my degree, but I quit just before I got the degree. So I just didn't like law at all. But it has been enormously helpful in my later years, I must say. I studied economy as well, and then uh, finally landed in computer science, basically, which I eventually graduated and finished. But I just didn't enjoy it at all. I must say, all I wanted to do is, is build a business, and you know, I could not care less. But I thought, if I don't have that paper, uh, you know, I'm not going to be able to do much in my life. But you know, I've got this paper still, um, you know, literally behind me there somewhere. But I've never used it. Nobody has ever ever asked me. So I, I guess I, I would. I don't want to say maybe this out loud, but I, I will say it anyway. So I think for me it was um, pretty much a waste of time, and all I learned from 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 this sort of uh, uh, university was that how do you how do, how do you create a, a sort of a proper papers and and uh, you know how do you how do you do this in a way that is uh, kind of looks looks good. That's pretty much it. I can relate to what you're saying. I mean, I left school at 15, and I, I remember you know in my 20s always wishing I could say I went to Stanford or, you know, I went to Harvard or, you know, as, as if that proves that you are as smart as you think you are. Um, it's interesting, isn't it? I think when you're younger, you think having a bit of paper will prove it, um, which, which is... Which but the opposite can also be true, right? So, I mean, I've, I've seen so many uh, founders who are coming from, you know, they're well-educated, they have uh, great degrees from great universities and they have also been enormously successful. Mm. So you can't say that, you know, not having a degree or having a degree is giving you an advantage. It's not necessarily, okay. uh, you know, there's no equal, uh, yeah. So it can be the one way or the other, but we have seen both, I guess, successes. It's interesting. I've, I've, I've studied a lot on what companies' ethos is around investing and there are some investment firms that will only invest in people that come out of Stanford or Harvard, you know, and, uh, and and as you quite rightly say, I think, you know, pe- people can come from all walks of life. I definitely think it's true. It's the kind of uh, Mike Tyson analogy. You know, you come from the streets, you would become a quite a good fighter, right? You know, if you have nothing in a way from an entrepreneur's perspective, it's all about making something from nothing. This idea you have today, this business you have was all in your head. It was nothing to begin with, right? 
But um, yeah, exactly. But when you're building out a business, if, if advising people to start a business, you know, what are the first few steps you think people should think about? Is there any quick tips there? Uh, I, I guess really it's, uh, it makes sense to have a plan also. So, I mean, sometimes, you know, you have this fantastic idea about creating something, I don't know, put a, put a restaurant up or, you know, sometimes it feels like uh, doing something small is easy and, and uh, low risk, uh, but I would, I would um, perhaps advise to think a little bit differently. So, first of all, I, I guess it's uh, however fascinating the idea may seem. I mean, you know, really taking time to build a plan around it, kind of a little bit of a financial, boring financial stuff as well, is always um, an advantage because you kind of need to, when you, when you need to create like a five-year plan, and, uh, and think of, you know, you have to show it to your, whoever is going to fund that uh, journey, uh, you know, that kind of uh, gives it uh, more maturity, I, I would say. And second thing I would lo- like to also encourage is, you know, we all have 24 hours a day. Uh, so, you know, it would be, it's much more tempting to go after something small that gives you like a little bit of an income and kind of, uh, you know, like a family business kind of a thing. Uh, but, but is it going to be something you want to do, you know, for the rest of your life? For example, if that answer is yes and go for it. But other than that, if we all have the same 24 hours a day, you know, it's, it's, it's proven that uh, building something bigger actually takes exactly the same amount of effort. So why not kind of a dream a little bigger, try to do something that actually uh, enables you as a human being sort of to evolve, to develop, you know, have a big impact and whatnot. Um, because we all got the same amount of time. Yeah, I, I think that's a really interesting point, and, and I have tried to say this to people too. Sometimes it's actually easier to run a big company than a small company. Um, you, you know, you actually end the, it's harder to get it there, but once you've got it there, you have more freedom. You know, you, if you aren't in the office for a few days, it's not the end of the world. The company will run without you. Uh, whereas when you have a small business, it's a lot, a lot harder actually. And so, you know, building something big, as you say, um, can also same amount of time. You, there's an argument. In fact, you, you buy time by making something bigger. You, you, you give yourself more more impact right back to your original three points impact is so important and so yeah absolutely and i feel like right now i'm kind of in a stage where uh, for the first time i guess i can you know sometimes uh, look at and, and not be kind of uh, constantly putting out fires myself and i can see actually team executing brilliantly and and you know if I would fall, if I would drop dead, I mean, again, death, right? So it's it's probably probably nothing dramatic. Will business is gonna survive, right? So it's not gonna it's not gonna die. So it's it's a it's it's a brilliant, it's a beautiful thing to watch if it actually gets to that level. That uh, you know, regardless of you being there, sixteen hours a day or or not, it's it's gonna actually it 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 has life of its own. I'd say it's the holy grail for entrepreneurs, as far as I'm concerned. You can build something that is will last without you. You know, that's the real testament of building something strong and uh, exciting. I think. You know, so that that's uh, hats off to you on that. You mean, it's two, brilliant. Two, two things I wanted to ask you quickly. Um, one was um, you, you, you co-founders. You've had in your first company three. You know, two co-founders, I guess, for the three of you, and then this business you you founded on your own. How, how do you feel about the co-founder setup? Any any thoughts on that? Any tips on that? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I guess initially there is uh, it can it can be fun thing to be on your own, right? Calling all the shots, you know, taking picking up these sort of CEO titles and feeling good about yourself. Uh, but fact is that if you have co-founders, it's just so much easier. I mean, if I could, 
I would have, uh, if I could go back, I would have done this uh, business also so differently. I probably would have picked at least two, three, four co-founders. And you know, uh, if you're kind of a solo, solo, solo founder, first of all, people don't want to invest in you because uh, you know you have to cover all your weaknesses by hiring from from outside. I mean, it's just uh, in the U.S. particularly, it's uh, some VCs don't even fund solo founder businesses, so you you're gonna have. Um, uh, so life life is pretty sort of uh, it's pretty lonely as an entrepreneur and and the CEO. So. You really don't have many people to talk to or rely on, so it just makes sense to have a to have a co-founder so you can share the burden. And you know, burnout rates when you look at the solo founders, it's insane. I mean, just the the burden is just it's just just uh, it's pretty big. So get a co-founder mm. and uh, try to complement um, your weaknesses. Don't buy. Don't get a person who is exactly like yourself. I think that's great advice. Actually, I'm doing my first business on my own at the moment, and, and I, I I actually miss the the friendship of it. You know that that almost like on the front line, fighting together. You know, and um and bouncing off each other's energy. Because so, so, always you know have a do- down day and an up day. And if you if you have a co-founder, I've, yeah. most all my businesses in the past, except a couple actually, I have you know I've had a co-founder in recent times. So it, it really is quite powerful i guess there's always time you've been right? lucky there's, yeah. there's always time Norris. yeah there's always time but it's, it's definitely an interesting point and it's interesting to hear it from someone who is a sole founder saying that so you know it's, it's very refreshing actually because it's very easy to pitch that the way you've done it is the way to do it so it's really refreshing and nice to hear um a different perspective and um yeah i i guess um, I, i'm also interested in, in you mentioned earlier goals you always set yourself goals um tell us a little bit about what you've learned there so in terms of uh, goal setting, I really started to take this uh, stuff seriously um, also kind of a many, many, many years ago. And I started with, you know, putting like a 10-year goal, 10-year kind of a vision where I wanted to be as a human being and, uh, you know, in a personal life and business life as well. And I've kind of broke it down to kind of a five-year, kind of a one-year level. And when you kind of break it down and you apply sort of a bigger themes, you know, you want to have whatever, I don't know kids, family, or you want to have a car or you want your business to do X number of millions of revenue or something like that. When you actually write it down and, and then it may even be absolutely ridiculous, but then you kind of, uh, on a daily basis, you look at this and you kind of try to execute in that direction. It's actually, it can actually pretty easily come, become a reality. And I've had this, I mean, when I started this, it was laughable, right? So I, I basically literally printed it on my wall put little pictures there as well, sort of of the ideal that I wanted to have. And then, you know, it was there maybe six months and didn't feel like it was going anywhere. Then I took it and put it in my, in my drawer. And a year later, I, you know, stumbled uh, upon it. And I found that actually they have all come become a reality. In many instances, some things are slightly delayed, but uh, when they do realize that actually you can sometimes over deliver your own kind of wildest uh, dreams. So that taught me about goal setting and it's important to have some sort of objective and sort of, uh, you know, where you need to go. Otherwise you're going to be just sort of uh, floating around and that's a certain way not to end up in a place where you want to be. I think, it's such a good bit of advice there. Again, I hope my audience are picking up on that. I hope everyone right now who's listening is writing down their goals. I completely agree. If you don't write them down, you don't manifest them. I guess it's kind of, it doesn't, it's not, it might not make it real. Your, your brain will tell you it's not possible. But if you write them down, somehow it does enforce that it's possible. I've done and in too. business as well. I mean, when you, 
when, when you run a business, I mean, uh, everything starts from, not starts, but I mean, yeah, at some point you have to write down a business plan. At some point you have to have a financial plan. And, and uh, because, you know, if you don't have a plan again, how are you going to show to your own team, your investors, the outside world, what you're going to do? What's, what's the plan, basically, is if you don't know what the plan is. And how, how do you stay innovative? Considering, you know, I know 2013, you were ahead of your time. 2015, you, know, you mentioned luck hit. Uh, we'll talk about luck in a minute. You know, it hits and, and you know, the market is mature. It accepts what you're doing. It takes off. But today it feels like everyone's trying to do what you're doing. So how do you stay ahead? What's the innovative tip for people out there? I guess it's uh, it's almost, uh, it's, it's, it should really be the reality for most businesses. I think it's really, you look at the customers and what are the pain points? What are the customers vote with their feet? Uh, what are the problems? So for example, even in this COVID environment, I mean, uh, customers are behaving slightly differently than they did before. So spotting those trends, understanding what customers, what are the pain points for customers? So you, you, you figure out the solution, you make things easier, they're going to buy. That's, um, that's, always, that's always been the case. And, um, you know, and the biggest the problem, the bigger, bigger problem that you uh, kind of find, the bigger is also the opportunity. And there is always going to be a little bit less competition there as well. Uh, because weirdly enough, you go to big, big problem world and suddenly there is no competition because it's just too bloody difficult for most people. So they just uh, get cold feet and they don't ever do it. And this is opportunity. Mm. So you think innovation is is talking to customers? I mean, it, it, it's an element, because I, I think back to what you were saying earlier and I, and I, I kind of, Get conflicted in my mind a bit. You know, you've got you ask a customer to do a thing that they're not used to. They probably say they don't want it. It's the Steve Jobs model, right? Which is like the customers don't know what they want. I'm going to give them yep. what they want. I'm not gonna, you know, Henry Ford said, "If I asked my customers what they want, they would have said a faster horse." You know, my customers don't know what they want, and I'm going to give it to them or, or ask customers what they want because they're voting with their feet. You've got to keep an eye on it. So, is is there a balance as a leader in innovation? As you yeah, can? absolutely. I'm not even perhaps saying that you should actually. Uh, well, we do. We do talk to, to our customers quite a lot. We do surveys and all that, but I'm not, uh, I don't think the innovation comes from that. I think it's if you just look at the patterns that are kind of emerging with um, how, the way people behave and, and if, they, if, they have, if they have a problem, then identifying that's, that problem, uh, I guess, is, uh, and, and you can actually do this without uh, you know, asking people what they want because they almost almost always give you a wrong answer to be honest um it's 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 innovation perhaps innovation should probably not come as you said from 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 asking people if they want a kind of a, a faster horse yeah it's definitely an interesting problem i think in in as, as businesses evolve as well it's where do you get the innovation from i always remember the yahoo story where, where they um tried to buy facebook you know so they they tried to buy in the innovation they knew it was coming they were aware how something like Facebook could change the landscape. They tried to buy it, they offered a billion, but it wasn't enough, right? So, I mean, do, do you think that's a, a reasonable strategy? If people out there with businesses today, a lot of the audience have a business and they're thinking about how to survive in a COVID world. I mean, what do you think about buying in innovation? Is it, is, or is it you've got to have it internally as a, as a mindset, do you think? I mean, uh, there is obviously, there are, there are companies who are, you know, getting better and better every year by acquiring other companies and, and uh, whether this is something that, um, you know, I, I think there is a good way how you can buy the innovation, how you can 
buy a company that has sort of a fantastic talented people in there. Uh, there are right ways of doing this, but I've also seen many failures. You know, when I look at, for example, in my own space, that I've seen that sort of uh, some early um, attempts have been bought up by some big banks and, uh, you know, they have turned these companies into dust. Uh, so there is a, you know, many things that can go wrong, but I think ultimately if, uh, if, uh, if you as a business, you want to kind of acquire talent or become more innovative by acquiring another team or, or, or doing things like this, then I think it's really, you know, makes sense to sort of really think about it in a, in a, you know, deeply and understand also that if that team or talent that you're going to be kind of uh, taking on board, then uh, wh- what does it take to actually keep these people around and whether it's sort of a golden handcuffs and kind of keeping them on board for a couple of years, uh, or is it actually making, you know, not actually changing the dynamics of that business that much and perhaps kind of a give, giving them the ability to fly with the new org uh, the same way as they flew before. Uh, but uh, I think there are, it's more possible to get it wrong, I think, than to get it right. So uh, I'm not a big believer in sort of um, buying innovation as such, but it, it can work. It just feels like quite a fast-moving space you're in now, so innovation must be permanently on your mind, staying staying uh, relevant. Sorry, um, very professional podcast. My dog starts barking. This is the problem with doing podcasts from uh, from home now, barking dogs. Sorry, folks. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's definitely an interesting subject. I, I was looking at uh, how Instagram continued to be successful when, when Facebook bought them and a big part of it was allowing, it was two entrepreneurs talking, first of all, I think that helps, and then allowing the entrepreneurs at Instagram to continue to run it with autonomy. Yeah. Um, and, and I think, you know, to, to your point, you know, that's sometimes the best way, you know, let, let them do what they need to do. Don't don't stifle their innovation, which is what happened at Vine when Twitter bought Vine, right? I mean, it's completely, it should have been TikTok. Vine should have been TikTok, but, you know, it got got um, corrupted by the uh, Twitter infrastructure. So yeah. definitely fascinating. Look, I, I could talk to you forever. You you have a big business to run. Um, so, so I'm going to let you go. One, one final question just to, um, before we end. If you went back to your younger self and gave some advice, what would it be? Uh, start earlier and uh, try to avoid having a, having a full-on family with mortgages and all that stuff. Um, uh, basically, do do the business, start the business first, and then then create uh, everything else. Uh, that that would be enormously helpful because um, if you if you start later with all the burden, sort of, a, I'm not saying burden burden, but I mean it's it's just so much more difficult because you you have to then split your time your your wallet and all that stuff so i would i would tell myself um uh start sooner and the second advice i would give myself is do not do not start a financial services business <laughs> it's just too damn hard <laughs> <laughs> oh very honest of you yeah well okay i don't think your younger your younger self is going to listen by the way and i hope i hope he doesn't <laughs> because we wouldn't be sitting here today hearing about amazing things that you've done so but but fascinating thanks for sharing i'm going to sum up a few things that i've taken from today's podcast i i, I love um what you mentioned earlier about pushing through fear leading into it i i feel like you almost revel in it now the, the risk piece is is almost like you know you love it you love the risk piece which i think is such a wonderful thing to embrace uh, so i love the point uh, i love this whole idea that you said you know what's the worst that can happen it's, it's, it sounds morbid in a way, embracing death, but I actually think there's something really powerful in it and very liberating. And, and, and I really I take that from, from what you've mentioned. I, I really love the kind of measure of success that the good people couldn't agree more. I wish more people would hire good people. 
um, and, and makes your life more enjoyable and gives a much more positive vibe to the business. I absolutely love it. I think freedom, which is my favourite saying in Braveheart, one of my favourite movies, you know, freedom, absolutely, people need to experience it once in their life, you know, even if it doesn't work uh, as a business, that the freedom you can have to make your own mission, your own vision and hire good people, ironically, they connect, right? I love that. Um, I, I think this kind of the choice of risk you mentioned, that, that you know, which ties into freedom, but the ability to take the risk that you want to take, that's just so powerful. Um, and then the impact piece, which I think um, I want to say comes over time um, because you can make an impact as you get better at what you're doing. But but those you know those three things: good people, freedom, and impact is such such a powerful combination. I hope people write it down and keep it um, for when when they're building their own businesses. You apply it. I think it's so powerful. And having nothing is sometimes a good thing. It teaches you to be an entrepreneur. You know your your background that you mentioned in Estonia and how you grew up. You know I know a lot of people out there right now ha- having it hard. You know they they don't have a lot but I think from that I had nothing as well at 15 I left home with nothing I actually think that made me successful because I had nothing to lose but equally you learn to be innovative as you mentioned uh, Norris which I think is so true so you know I'm not saying that if you've got a lot you can't also do something with that that's a different type of superpower but but having nothing can also be incredibly powerful and create such innovation Um, I I guess this is just a personal thing but I concur with Norris so I'm going to say I do think have a a co-founder it might not be for everyone but i actually um like norris's point on this and my own experience i can correlate i think having a co-founder can cover your weaknesses easier um and i do think that it it allows you to have more fun uh, with the business uh, quite often so it's i think get a co-founder is a good bit of advice but of course it might not be for everyone but um, but i I took that from from uh, what norris has said today and of course set yourself goals you know put put it down in paper and and make them big uh, audacious goals why not because it really is true what Norris is saying I think um, I wish I was told this when I was 15 it's easier to build a big company than a small company it doesn't sound it sounds counterintuitive but actually it's true and you can have a bigger impact you can hire more good people and you get even more freedom so it all links together but uh, that's what I took away from you today Norris I want to thank you for your time thank you Simon uh, thank you listeners it's been uh, it's been a pleasure thank you very much bye-bye thank you for listening to the Good Luck Club podcast today. I hope you found what Norris had to say useful. We want to interview the world's most successful entrepreneurs so that they share their knowledge with you so you can go out there and build a purposeful business and enjoy your day-to-day. If you found what Norris had to say useful, then I'd really appreciate it if you clicked his business link down below and went and followed him on social media. And if you're feeling really generous, maybe go and open up an account and experience the seamless service that he has created. I want to thank you again for listening to today's Good Luck Club podcast. We know you have thousands of podcasts you could be listening to. We feel extremely lucky that you took the time to listen to ours. 